Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. And we will make America great again. Brothers and sisters, welcome to Praying for America. Pro-life leader Frank Pavone here of Priests for Life. Great to have you with us. We are living in apocalyptic times, biblical times. You know, it's amazing, and we bring this out on this program in various ways, how the political divide in America, the political battles that we have in our country are being understood by more and more of our citizens, and they're explicitly saying this, as a battle between good and evil, the ancient battle between good and evil, between God and Satan. It's clearer and clearer. And you know, biblical interpretation sometimes will take obscure passages and try to link them to current events. And you know, I respect all the the biblical analysts and commentators and spiritual writers who will who will do that. Sometimes it's the interpretation of mysterious passages or numbers or symbols. That that that's all well and good in and of itself. But if we step back and just look at the big obvious picture of the dynamics that Scripture shows, people believing in Christ, being persecuted by the civil authorities, asserting their faith more vigorously, sacrificing themselves for the, for the, for the risen Christ, we see it even more clearly. It's the big, big themes in Scripture that are being played out exactly in our day with what's happening in America. And, I, and I'm going to show you a little bit about that today as we continue to talk about the Democrat Party hates America and the war on the Constitution, specifically the war on the First Amendment we are looking at right now. And I want to go to the Acts of the Apostles, a passage be very familiar to you, uh, where the believers are persecuted, but they pray and they speak with boldness. This is the pattern for us here. We want to pray for America. we got to be exactly like Uh, these believers uh, behaved in the passage I'm about to read. So it's Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 23. Let's put ourselves in the Word here and in the presence of the Lord, and let's pray for America. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. But they had been told, by the way, not to preach in the name of Jesus, right? And they said, sorry, we can't help it. We're going to preach in the name of Jesus. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants 
to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered began to shake, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful that we have a constitution that gives us protection for speaking the word of God with boldness. Your word, Lord God, and the history of the apostles and other believers in your name fits well, fits well into our constitution. Because we have the protection, the framework, the freedom to speak your word boldly, not just in private, but in the public square. And not only to speak it, but then to vote accordingly, to change the public policies of our nation, to conform to the truths, the moral law, and the grace you give us in your gospel. Father, we praise you for this freedom, this freedom to persuade, to change the hearts and the minds and the consciences of our fellow citizens, that they too may understand what is for their good, for the good of their families and their futures. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom we have. Bless us now as we continue praying for America that we might preserve that freedom and that we might understand the attacks on that freedom being launched against us by the Democrat Party. Lord God, let believers have the courage to name the evils that they are experiencing. So many times they don't want to get partisan. They don't want to name names. They don't want to say Democrat or Republican. How are we going to save ourselves from the threats of the Democrats if we can't even say their name? Enable believers, enable pastors to start speaking the name of the evil that we face so that we may eradicate it from our midst. We ask this. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Friends, we have to eradicate it from our midst. I've been saying this for a long time. Democrats have become uh, evil. Now, I'm not talking about tens of millions of grassroots people that identify themselves as Democrats, but they're, they're thinking of a party that is long gone, long been transformed by the radical left. I'm talking about the radical leaders that have hijacked this party and made the agenda of the radical left into the formal agenda of the party. And this book documents that in great detail. All right, so we left off talking about the attack on freedom of religion. We pointed out that for 100 and 110 years there hadn't been any Supreme Court cases regarding the Establishment Clause or the Free Exercise Clause of our Constitution, our First Amendment. And then all of a sudden, since 1940, there have been like 75 cases because citizens have felt their religious freedom was being infringed, and it was. One of the things we see most recently with the Biden administration is this weaponization of the FBI. Now, we know 
how the DOJ and the FBI have been weaponized against President Trump and against his supporters, his followers, his attorneys, his inner circle, even just those that show up at a, at a rally to uh, listen to him and uh, say amen to his words. But we have here more specific targeting also, and I'm, I'm a Catholic, as you know. It has come out through FBI uh, memos, specific targeting of what they call traditional Catholics. And this has now come up in various Senate hearings and, and House investigations. It's like, what do you guys in the FBI mean by traditional Catholics? Now, I can tell you from my own experience what's going on here. But let's just frame this more generally. We have the evidence. First, it was like, oh, well, you know, the FBI is working with certain, certain contacts within the Catholic Church and I'm going to call out some of these dioceses because, you know, as many people have said, some of these, it, it, the church is structured in such a way that certain geographical areas are, are called dioceses, okay? And they're headed up by a bishop. The church is very hierarchical and the bishop is, uh, you know, gives his uh, governance, religious governance of all the Catholic churches in that particular geographical territory called a diocese. So the diocese has its centralized office. It's a big bureaucracy. Let me just put it for you, especially those of you that may not be so familiar with the Catholic culture. It's infected by the left. There are some exceptions, but these diocesan structures are infected by the left. Their treatment of me and my ministry is one of the signs of this, but this bureaucracy is in need of deep, serious, immediate reform. It's no surprise that the FBI, also dominated by the left, it's thoroughly corrupt. Not to say that there aren't good people, there are many good people there. But it has been weaponized and, and, and corrupted. It's no surprise that they find their fellow corrupt leftists working in certain chancery offices, as they're called, these diocesan bureaucratic structures, and collaborate with them. To root out what? Threats to our democracy, by which we mean their left-wing Democrat agenda. There's nothing to do with democracy in and of itself, or much less to do with our constitutional republic. But they're collaborating. It's a lot of the same people. It's a lot of the same people. And so this FBI memo shows us, now first it came out of Richmond, Virginia that the FBI was collaborating with certain contacts within the Catholic Church to get, tip them off about the activities of traditional Catholics. I'll explain to you in a moment why the significance of traditional Catholics. But then the FBI tried to claim, oh yeah, it was only, uh, this was an aberration, it was only the Richmond office. And then more memos came out showing that, no, 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 this was in fact multiple offices across the, the FBI and across the country. We're gonna be getting more information about that uh, ourselves. We're going to be requesting more detailed information from the FBI about that. But recruiting sources within the Catholic Church regarding the threat of radical traditional Catholics. So Mark points this out. He also points out, by the way, we're familiar with uh, American people have familiarity. You know, we see uh, uh, programs like Law and Order, and, and we know uh, what, what criminal investigations are. You know, something happens, a crime is committed, a, a victim is identified, and then you start following the trail and identifying who committed this crime, and, and then what kind of punishment should they get. 
but we're not as familiar with intelligence investigations. Uh, intelligence investigations, rather than being linear, something happened, his person was found dead over here, he searched, put together the evidence, followed the trail. Uh, intelligence investigations instead can be like going around in circles forever and ever, just asking questions, just gathering information. And the danger here is, as opposed to a criminal investigation where somebody broke the law, clearly, in identifiable ways, intelligence investigations can end up, can end up uh, trampling on First Amendment territory. So what if I believe a particular thing? So what if I worship in a traditional Catholic way? So what if I'm a pro-life citizen and I believe in the, 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 the unborn are persons who need to be protected and therefore I go out and I protest abortion as long as I observe the, the law and I'm not violent. What's the problem? I shouldn't be investigated for. FBI has no business asking me about my personal beliefs. They have no business doing that and I have no obligation to answer such questions. Like I've often said to you, they come knocking at your door. Do you have a warrant? No. Have a good day. Don't talk to them. They have no business asking about your political beliefs, your political affiliations, your religious beliefs, your pro-life convictions. And that's the problem here. When um, First Amendment protected beliefs, declarations, speech, and activities start going under the spotlight of law enforcement agencies. It's like, guys, did I break a law? If not, this is none of your business. Leave me alone. That's got to be our approach. So Mark Halk. Oh, let me talk to you about traditional. Why, why would the Biden leftist infected sick Democrat agenda be so concerned about traditional Catholics? The Catholic Church has a lot of key teachings. You know, one of them, of course, is against abortion, and abortion is a sacred cow for the Democrats. But it's not just that it's the official teaching of the church, because some in the church, and I'm talking about leaders, couldn't care less. You wouldn't know the difference based on what they say and do. But when you look at the movements within the church that are considered traditional, and this includes people who attend uh, the Latin Mass, uh, this includes people who belong to various movements and groups such as ours, Right to Life movements, Priests for Life, and so forth. These are the ones who, and this is a general pattern, and we don't, we don't want to overgeneralize, obviously, because there are people uh, who are always exceptions to the rule. The point I'm making, though, is that these kinds of movements are much more explicitly dedicated to challenging the politics and changing public policy and taking people's religious convictions and then saying to them within the four walls of the church, you have got to go beyond the four walls of the church, you've got to go into the voting booth, and you've got to elect people who are going to implement policies according to the law of God, like stop the killing of babies by abortion. And what that means, of course, is you're going to get Democrats out of power. If you go in and you say, we have to vote pro-life, the Democrats are out of power. Find me a pro-life Democrat on the, on, the, on the national level. Find me a pro-life Democrat member of Congress. Good luck. 
find me a pro-life Democrat governor who one of them just uh, lost re-election in, uh, uh, in Louisiana, or, or, or rather came to the end of his, 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 his time there. It was an exception rather than the rule, right? A pro-life Democrat governor, John Bell Edwards in, in Louisiana. But the point is, traditional Catholics, what they're actually talking about here is not so much belief. It's about the willingness of these people to, I'm convinced this is what's, what's threatening this left corrupt, leftist corrupt FBI and Biden administration. What's threatening them is, hey, these people take their faith into the voting booth. That's what this boils down to, friends. That's what this boils down to. Now, you also have a direct threat. And I'm, when I say threat here, I'm not talking about violence. I'm talking about ideological and political threat to the pro-abortion stance of the Democrat Party. And you see them pushing back against this. And this, of course, is in large part uh, the motivation here against uh, 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 Catholics. But the pro-life position is held by evangelicals as well and many others. But specifically on pro-life activity, we have in the police state film, I hope you've seen it, right? PoliceStateFilm.net, if you haven't, go and order, pre-order the, the DVD, PoliceStateFilm.net. Um, and tonight, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, at Mar-a-Lago and, uh, uh, for the uh, event, premiere event for Police State uh, Film uh, and uh, with Dan Bongino and, and Dinesh D'Souza. It's a Dinesh D'Souza production and many, many other of our uh, political friends uh, working, fighting, praying to save America. Uh, we are there tonight uh, at Mar-a-Lago to celebrate this film. You see highlighted in this film the case of Mark Houck. Now, Mark is a friend and ally of mine, a colleague in the pro-life movement. I uh, was with him and members of his family not too long ago at a pro-life gathering. And Mark goes out like, uh, like many, many faithful uh, believing pro-life Americans do and prays peacefully at abortion facilities. And he was involved in an altercation with a pro-abortion escort. Now, these people are out there. These people, uh, these pro-abortion escorts are nasty, uh, corrupt people, uh, dirty, filthy, morally filthy people. And uh, they'll try to provoke the pro-life people in numerous ways. And, and this one particular pro-abortion uh, uh, pro-abortion agitator, let's call him, was, uh, was harassing Mark's uh, little boy. Now, I think it's, it's, really, uh, com uh, it's really to be commended that uh, parents, and I've seen it all over the country, will bring their children out to participate in prayerful uh, vigils outside of these killing centers to educate these children on how to defend these little babies and how to defend what is right, how to defend good public policy, which should be that we protect these children. And so it's good that the parents are bringing their children out, educating them about what's going on here in this massive battle over abortion. This pro-abortion pro, uh, agitator, however, was harassing uh, the child. And so Mark, like any father would do, defended his, uh, his child. And at a certain point, uh, uh, the two of them were... Uh, face-to-face, uh, -face, and there was a, a bit of a, of a uh, shoving match there. The pro-abortion people come back, and the, the, the local law enforcement there in the Philadelphia jurisdiction said, you know, there's no, uh, there's no issue here to, to be prosecuted. 
But, the, but leave it to the Biden administration. They took it up and they said, well, wait a minute, there's this face law that Clinton had signed back in 1994 saying that you can't physically obstruct or physically interfere or intimidate anyone going into an abortion clinic for, uh, their, uh, for their abortion. So they tried to, and you see, this is the constant pattern. They try to take a, a law that's there for one purpose, and this law has its problems. Many believe it's unconstitutional. But putting that aside, the law has its purpose, and the Democrats are all great at taking laws, look what they're doing with President Trump, and applying them to situations to which they don't apply. And that's what happened in this case. Long story short, they tried to bring the face law against Mark, and... Uh, the court ultimately vindicated him and rejected that because it has nothing to do with what, what occurred in this altercation between him and the pro-abortion agitator. It had nothing to do with that. But that doesn't matter to the left. They just want to intimidate. And even if they had any basis, or even if they were going to proceed without a basis, in bringing charges against Mark for violating the FACE law, freedom of access to clinic entrances, they could have done it in a much more rational way than showing up at his house one morning with a whole group of armed agents pointing guns at him and his wife and his children. It, why in the world are you doing that? It's the same kind of overreaction heavy, tyrannical hand that they used in the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Over documents? Over documents that the president had every right to possess anyway. Why are you, why are you doing this? This is the hand of tyranny. So the story of Mark Houck is uh, shown on this uh, police state film. Uh, and by the way, we are going to honor Mark Huck. I want to invite all of you to join me in Washington, D.C. Now, many of you, I'm sure, come to the March for Life each year. This year, it's going to be January 19th. It's a Friday. But even if you don't usually come, because of the Mark Huck, because of the weaponization of government, because of these stories, and the need to stand up for an America without tyranny, I want to invite you to come for that reason alone. Join me for a national prayer service. It's going to be very appropriately at Constitution Hall, Constitution Hall in Washington, D.C., the morning of Friday, January 19th, Constitution Hall. And we are going to um, honor Mark Houck. He's going to be there. You'll have a chance to meet him if you haven't met him before. Take a photo. Thank him for uh, fighting back against. Now he's running for Congress, and he's also legally um, uh, pushing back against the uh, Biden administration, the FBI, for what they did. Come and, 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 and honor him and encourage him and uh, show your support and let's, let's strengthen his spirit. And uh, we'll be honoring a number of others, uh, Bishop Joseph Strickland. We talk about this, this attack on, uh, on, on, on Catholics for living and speaking their faith. This is one of the few bishops that has the courage to explicitly uh, point out that the Democrat Party is uh, on the wrong track when it comes to the sanctity of life and so many other things. Now, Mark, uh, so January 19th, go to nationalprayerservice.com, by the way. That's where you can find the info on this service. Bring groups, come yourselves. Uh, let us know that you're coming. Nationalprayerservice.com.
Um, Mark Levin points out in this book, the Democrat Party is always uh, heavily relying on the votes of single women without children. And therefore, it's one of the reasons why they're always pushing this abortion agenda. Abortion without limits. And that's the point. Many Americans believe that, well, you know, in certain uh, limited cases it should be allowed. Let's put that aside for a moment. These people want no limits. Unfettered abortion. And this has become a rallying point for Biden, for the whole Democrat Party, for the Democrat Congress, the Democrat governors, uh, states that are putting... Uh, again, there's this push in Ohio. We've got to defeat this issue one that is trying to force a fake right to unrestricted abortion into the state's constitution. Uh, but it also comes out, and let me read a little bit here from Mark's uh, book here. In the federal legislation that the Democrats have put forward, it's called the Women's Health Protection Act. They voted on it. They couldn't get they couldn't get the whole Congress to agree on it. It's just too radical. But they, they, they voted on it. Democrats passed the majority uh, vote of the Democrats. The bill would ban state laws against late-term abortions, parental notification for minors. It would be against that. Parental notification for minors getting an abortion. Conscience protections... For medical and health professionals. You know, it's one thing if people say, and if they say this, they're wrong. But if they say, oh, well, you know, it's okay to abort a baby. But most of those people would not then go on to say, well, therefore, you can force a doctor or a nurse to do the abortion even if they don't want to, even if they're against it. Force them to do it? Really? Well, that's where the Democrats are. They want to get a, do away with, uh, see, because they consider abortion to be not just a medical procedure that sometimes they think you may want to use. It's not just that. They consider it a fundamental right. So just like a doctor or a nurse would have to respect your fundamental right to free speech or freedom of religion or freedom of assembly, so they think the doctors or nurses have to respect the fundamental right to abortion. And this is why they would be in favor of forcing them, requiring them, as medical students to learn how to do abortions and then as, as uh, medical professionals to participate in the procedure, even if they have moral objections. The Biden administration actually dropped the case that the Trump administration brought against a medical uh, center in uh, Vermont that was not respecting the, 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 the conscience of a nurse that it forced to participate in an abortion, even though she had told them she didn't want to. So her rights were violated, and the Trump administration came down on that medical center in a reasonable way. He said, listen, is this what you really wanted to do? We're going to give you a chance to change your policy. Otherwise, you're not going to get any federal funds. Well, the Biden administration comes in and just say, never mind about that. No problem. You want to violate the rights of nurses and doctors? Uh, uh, no problem. This is, this is who these people are. This is part of their war on the First Amendment, which in turn is part of their war on the Constitution. But this Women's Health Protection Act would eliminate these conscience protections. It would also guarantee taxpayer funding of abortions. It would eliminate waiting periods. I was just speaking in Michigan. I was just uh, speaking to a statewide group this past Saturday in Michigan. 
So their legislature, which is just, again, by slim margins controlled by the Democrats, they have a trifecta there, governor and both chambers of the legislature. So they're trying to ram through a reproductive health act, sort of modeled on this, this national bill of the Democrats. And this is one of the things they explicitly are trying to do. Michigan has a provision, as, 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 as many states do, where if you go to get an abortion, you just can't walk in and have the procedure. You've got to go in, be evaluated, get some information about the risks and dangers of the procedure, the development of the baby, the alternatives to abortion, and then take a day to think about it, just a day, 24-hour waiting period. They want to get rid of that. And they have a Democrat representative in their, uh, in their, in their house there in Michigan who said, wait a second, she's in favor of the so-called right to abortion. But she said, you know, it's not unreasonable to give people a, a day to to think this over, make sure they're making the right decision. Because once you make that decision, you can't take it back. You can't bring that child back to life. Oh, I made a mistake. I aborted my child. Oh, let me just bring the child back. Whereas if you hold off and you say, okay, let me just, just preserve the life of this child for one more day before, before I let them put instruments in there to dismember the child. She said, this is not unreasonable. And yet, the Democrats in Michigan overall, they want to get rid of this provision. So 49 Senate Democrats voted for, on the, now back on the federal level, voted for this Women's Health Protection Act. 49 Senate Democrats. Susan Collins, who's a Republican, but pro-abortion, voted against the Democrats' bill. She said, contrary to claims from Senate Democrat leaders that their bill would not infringe upon the religious rights of individuals and religious institutions, the act explicitly invalidates the Religious Freedom Restoration Act in connection with abortions and supersedes other longstanding bipartisan conscience laws. They don't, if you have no respect for life, you have no respect for conscience. In fact, you have no respect for anything. That's part of their war on America. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to restore protection for life in America from its beginning. We ask you to restore, Lord God, protection for conscience. Protection for religious freedom, Lord God, religious freedom. Protection, Lord God, for the Constitution. Free us from these radical Democrats. Awaken the conscience of our fellow citizens to vote them out of office. And enable us, Lord God, to vigorously defend our freedoms. We pray now as Jesus taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, if you want more information on the abortion issue and how it's playing out in our politics, two websites I want to leave with you. Endabortion.us. That's our ministry. Endabortion.us. And ProLifeVote.com. That's our political website. ProLifeVote.com. Thank you for joining us. Join me again tomorrow. We'll talk to you soon.
Hello, this is Father David Begany. Like many priests, I am inspired and always learning from the Ministry of Priests for Life, which is one of the largest and most visible pro-life organizations in the world. This ministry relies on your financial support to be able to do its work, produce its programs, and travel the world to advocate for the unborn. May I ask you to support Priests for Life generously? Go today to prolifegift.org and give as generous a gift as you can. Thank you so much, and be assured of our daily prayers for you. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.